Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. If you have small babies, you may want to go check them into the nursery as well. The rest of you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. If you do not have a Bible, we've provided Bibles for you under the seats on the racks. In the Pew Bible, it's on page 884 is where we're going to be hanging out this morning in Luke chapter 24. Back when I was a kid in the 80s, I used to watch the TV show Ripley's Believe It or Not. Maybe some of you have seen that. Maybe some of you have actually gone to the Ripley's Believe It or Not attractions that they have across the country. I think there's like three aquariums where you can go. And so this past week, I went to the Ripley's Believe It or Not website, and I found some very unbelievable things that have happened. So there's this guy in England... His name is Ray Matthews. He broke the world record for running 75 marathons in 75 days as a 75-year-old. And he rose 75,000 pounds for a special needs school to give them a, a padded, soft playground. That was an inspirational one. Here's a weird one. There's a guy named Mark Joffney, and this man was born without arms, But that did not stop him from learning how to play the guitar. So he plays the guitar with his feet. So he puts the guitar on the ground, and with one foot he strums, and with the other foot he he plays chords, and his band is called the Big Toe. Now that was interesting. Now, on the even weirder side, there's a barber from India. Now, I've been to India many times. I've never got my hair cut in India, but this would freak me out if, if um, Asnar Ahmad, this barber from India, instead of holding scissors in his hands and a comb in his other hand, he holds his scissors in his mouth and cuts your hair with the scissors in his mouth. Now, some of you hairdressers go out this week and try to freak out your clients by cutting their hair with putting the scissors in your mouth. Now, I could go on and on about weird and unbelievable things. Some of them are inspiring. Some of them are weird. Some of them are just downright disturbing. But when you think about it, the resurrection is actually pretty unbelievable. Jesus was physically dead on a cross. They put a spear in his side. They buried him in a tomb And then three days later, he bursts forth from the grave. That's actually pretty unbelievable when you stop and you think about it. Last year, around this time Easter, the Rasmussen Group, they did a survey of a thousand Americans to ask what their views were of Christianity. And so they surveyed a thousand Americans. And here was the two questions they asked Americans on this phone survey. Question number one, do you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins? And question number two, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Pretty basic questions that we as Christians would answer yes and yes to. Here's the results of the survey. 77% of Americans said they believe Jesus rose from the grave. Now that got me to think this past week. 
If over three-fourths, supposedly, of our nation believes that Jesus rose from the dead, then should it not make a radical difference in how we live? Should not America be different because of all these people believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave? Should not Easter change your life personally and make a difference in how you live your life? You know, Easter is a time of hope. It's a time of assurance. It's a time of joy. But I'm afraid that many people do not live in the power of the resurrection. In other words, the resurrection is a historical fact that you may give lip service to. You may actually believe Jesus rose from the dead, but it's not impacting how you live. It's not impacting what you believe. It's not impacting your life. It's not making any difference. And so this morning, I want you to really stop and think about your life. Take stock of where your heart is this morning. You see, I think that we as people struggle with three main issues, three main battles, three main things that go on in our hearts. And this may be describing you this morning. Some people, their struggle, their battle is with fear. Fear, doubt, or insecurity. You fear the future. You always live in insecurity. You're not quite sure if, if bad things are going to happen to you. You're crippled by, by fear, by insecurity. That may describe you this morning. That may be something you're struggling with, fear. For others, the struggle may not be fear, but it may be anger. It may be bitterness. It may be resentment that you have deep down in your heart where you um, are, are finding it very hard to forgive others. You erupt like a volcano when others come around you. Others have to walk on eggshells because you have resentment. You're bitter against life. You're mad at the world. You're, you're, you're harboring anger and bitterness in your heart. So for some of you, it may be fear. For some of you, it may be anger. But for some of you, the third thing that I think a lot of people deal with, it could be guilt. It could be shame. You have some secret sin that nobody else knows about you. You have feelings of guilt that overwhelm your conscience and, and you're just not quite sure how to shake those feelings of things that you've done, things that you never thought you would do that, that you just feel so guilty. So for some, it's fear. For some, it's anger. And for some, it's guilt. And it could be a combination of all three. And see, here's the dilemma. For a lot of us, we're not really sure how to handle these struggles. We don't really know how to deal with them. So some people turn to therapy, which is in and of itself is not bad. Some people self-medicate. Others turn to drugs and alcohol. Others try to accumulate toys and stuff. Others just go through life and grit your teeth and hope it goes away. So the question then becomes, what does Easter have to do with this? Well, there's hope this morning for you. There's hope in the empty tomb of Christ. Here's the good news of Easter. Here's the main point for this morning. Because Jesus is alive, he can radically change your life. Now, most of you may be perking up at that statement. What do you mean he can radically change my life? That, that sounds kind of radical, Sean. Sean. 
I don't like the word radical. It's kind of overused. Hey, that's radical, dude. But do you know what the word radical means? Radical comes from the Latin word radix, which means root. So when I'm talking about how Jesus can radically change your life, I'm talking about how he can get down to the root of who you are. He can get down deep into your soul. He can change you from the inside out fundamentally. And some of you are like, I don't know if I want to be changed. I like life the way it is now. This whole radical change thing is kind of scary. Others may say, you know what, I really need a radical change in my life. Because Jesus is alive, he can radically change your life. And so Easter's not about getting better at being a good person. If I just clean myself up and get better and and maybe go to church on Easter Sunday, then maybe God will accept me. I'm going to be better at being good. Easter's not about getting better at turning over a new leaf, trying harder. It's not some type of spiritualism where you look within in to try to find yourself. No, Easter is about radical change because when you think about Easter for a moment, it's radical because you had someone who's dead who's now alive. You've got someone who died on the cross and you've got an empty tomb. That's a radical change. So this morning, I'm going to ask you a very simple question. How can your life be radically different because of the empty tomb? Radically different transformationally different because of Jesus rising from the grave. Does it make a difference in your life? It's one thing to embrace the historical facts of the resurrection. It's quite another thing to have a radical change where it impacts everything you are. So let's look in our Bibles at Luke chapter 24. This is the resurrection account from Luke's gospel. And we're going to look at the first 12 verses to begin with. And so this morning what I want us to do is I want us to consider how the eyewitnesses to Jesus' empty tomb responded to the empty tomb. How did the eyewitnesses who were there on the ground level that saw this, how did they respond? So let's read together starting in Luke chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week... At early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's look at the responses of those who experienced the empty tomb firsthand. Let's first look at the women. They got there first. And so here's response number one. Perplexed and forgetful. Perplexed and forgetful. 
Notice what it says when they get to the empty tomb. The, 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 the stone's been rolled away. They don't see Jesus. In verse 4, they were perplexed about this. This means to be totally at a loss, to be, to be frustratingly confused. They're perplexed. They're in doubt. They're anxious. Now, this is before the angels show up to them. When the angels show up to them, they really freak out because it says they were fearful and bowed their head. But before the angels come up to them, they're looking at the empty tomb. They've come with the spices, and Jesus' body's not there, so they're perplexed. They're confused. They're overcome with bewilderment and anxiety. What is going on here? Now, that could describe you this morning. There are some of you that have a lot of questions about God. I've got a lot of questions about God. And from time to time, I have people come and ask me questions I don't even know how to answer. And so some of you are very, very inquisitive, and you, you're very, you've got these questions about God. You've got these perplexities in your, in your heart and your mind. where You're wanting things to be figured out. I, I need to understand this. I don't understand this. I am perplexed. I, I'm confused. And there's some things that sometimes happen in your life where, where life just happens to you, and you ask the question, why is this happening? I'm perplexed. I'm confused. I am bewildered. That was their response. But then the angels show up, and the angels say, listen, why are you looking for Jesus here? He's risen. But I want you to notice what the angels say to these ladies. Look at verse 6. He is not here, but has risen. Remember. Remember how he told you? While he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Remember, ladies, Jesus told you this was going to happen. On three times, on three occasions in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told them this. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over to sinful men. I'm going to be crucified on the cross. I'm going to rise again three times. And so they forgot what Jesus had told them. But then when the angel reminded them, they're like, oh yeah, we remember now. And they went and they told the apostles. So so let me just ask you a question. Do you sometimes need an angel to come to you and say, hey, did you forget about Jesus? Now most of you here will be like, no, I I didn't forget about Jesus. You wouldn't have forgot about Jesus because you're here this morning on Easter. That's a good sign. The fact that you're here this morning, I didn't forget about Easter. I didn't forget about Jesus. Most of us are not going to cognitively say, you know what, I forgot about Jesus. But by how we live... Can we be making a statement that we've forgotten about Jesus? He's become stale. He's become old. He's become distant. I've drifted away from Jesus. He's not my desire. He's not my pursuit. He's not my passion. I've just sort of forgotten him. Oh, no, I would never claim that I've forgotten him, but by the way that you live and by the way that you act, you've pretty much forgotten Jesus. So there's two responses here by these women. They're perplexed. What is going on? And then the angel has to say, remember, remember, Jesus told you this. All right, let's look at response number two, the apostles. Response number two is mocking unbelief. What happens? These ladies go back, and we may get a tinge of some male chauvinism here from these apostles. These ladies go back, verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and all the other women with them told these things to the apostles. 
told them, hey, we saw an empty tomb. These angels showed up to us. Jesus is not here. Can you believe it? The tomb is empty. And what do they say? Verse 11, these words seem to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. They brushed it off as a fairy tale. Now, in the original language, it's interesting, this word idle tale was often used of a person who was sick and speaking deliriously. You know how when somebody's on medication, have you ever come out of anesthesia? I had, I, had, I had surgery like a year and a half ago, and when I came out, I kept asking Dawn the same question, like over and over. And she's like, you realize you've already asked that? Yeah, but did, what are the doctors? You've come out of anesthesia, and you're like, you're kind of not all there. That's, that's how the disciples are thinking these women are. You ladies must be, have, have smoked some local weed. You, you ladies must have been delirious. This is a fairy tale. How, what are you talking about? Angels? What are you talking about? Empty tomb? This doesn't make sense. It's a fairy tale. It's an idle tale. Now, that may describe you this morning. You may look at the Easter story and say, you know what? I don't buy it. I don't buy the empty tomb. Now, you may not tell anybody you believe that, but in your heart, you may be thinking, you know what? I'm not sure if I buy this whole Christianity thing. I'm not sure if I buy this Jesus dying on a cross. I'm not sure if I buy the empty tomb. I'm not sure it really happened. I don't buy it. And throughout history, there have been three major objections to the resurrection. There's been three ways people have tried to say it didn't happen. So let me give you these historical ways that people have tried to downplay the resurrection. The first one is called the falsehood theory. Here's the falsehood theory. The disciples snuck past the Roman guards, they rolled away the tomb, and they stole Jesus' body, and they went and buried the dead body, but they went around telling everybody he'd risen from the grave. Now, number one, they probably would have been killed if they tried to get to the empty tomb. But number two, why would you as a disciple be martyred for a lie? Do you know how the disciples died? If this was just a lie, if this was just a sham, if they went and stole the body and pretended that Jesus rose from the dead, why would you go to great lengths to defend that and die as a martyr? Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. James, the brother of John, was beheaded. Philip was scourged, beaten, and crucified. James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, was stoned and bludgeoned to death with a bat. Andrew, the brother of Peter, was crucified. Mark was dragged to death. Jude was crucified. Thomas was killed by being speared to death. And Luke was hanged on an olive tree. Would you do that, undergo that, for what you knew was a lie? Falsehood theory. Number two is what they call the swoon theory. Well, Jesus didn't really die. I mean, I know they put nails in his hands, and they put nails in his feet, and they put a, uh, you know, a spear in his side, but he just kind of fainted when he got into the tomb. And he was in there for three days without food and water, and he had enough strength to roll the boulder away, and he walked back to Jerusalem and appeared to all these people, but he didn't really die. Does anybody want to buy that? And here's number three, the vision or delusion theory. This says, you know what, Jesus didn't really die on the cross and rise again. His disciples were so excited and thinking that he would do that, that they were delusionary and they saw a vision of Jesus and they went around telling people it happened, but it really didn't because they were having delusions of grandeur. It was basically what they wanted to have happen. Now, what does the Bible say? 
says Jesus appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses at one time. Josephus, who was a secular historian, he didn't even believe in the gospel in Jesus. He was, he was an atheist. He even wrote that Jesus rose from the dead. So historically, it is a proven fact that Christ rose from the dead. And that's what sets Christianity apart from other, all other world religions. Do you realize that you can go to the city of Medina in Saudi Arabia today and you can see the mosque of Muhammad's grave where Muhammad is buried, the founder of Islam. Siddhartha Gautama, who was the founder of Buddhism, he died, he was cremated, and his remains are in relics all throughout the Far East. Confucius, the Chinese philosopher, was buried in his hometown in China, and thousands of Chinese people visit his grave and his temple every year. Jesus is the only one who predicted his death, died on the cross, and rose again, and it was public. He appeared to over 500 people. It is a proven fact that he rose from the grave. But these disciples think it is an idle tale. So the women are perplexed. They're forgetful. The men think this is a fairy tale. Let's keep moving through the text. Let's go down to verse 36. So skip down to verse 36. This is the first time in Luke's gospel that Jesus shows up to all the twelve as they're gathered there. Verse 36, And they were talking about these things. Jesus stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and afraid, and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Then when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Let's look at response three. You've got troubled, doubting hearts. Verse 37, they think they see a spirit. They think they see a ghost. They were frightened. Verse 38, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? There's something going on in their hearts. There's doubt. There's skepticism. There's fear. There's, they're, they're troubled. That word troubled can mean they were almost violently shaking because they were so troubled. And Jesus does two things here to prove his resurrection. Number one, he shows them the physical scars. He says, look, feel, touch, see the literal scars on my hands and feet. Touch it. Look materially, physically here. I'm not a ghost. I'm literally raised from the dead. And so they touched him and they, they saw that he literally was raised from the dead. But the second thing he does, it says, give me some, give me some fish. Why is that important? Because ghosts don't eat. 
He eats fish as a way to show he has physically risen from the dead. Now, it's interesting because these responses are from people that were on the ground floor, that were there, perplexed, amazed, shocked, troubled, thinking it's a fairy tale. So if those who were there experienced these types of responses, it, it, it goes to, 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 um, to the conclusion that I bet you we probably have those same types of responses today. We probably have those same type of responses. But it's important that what Jesus does here, Jesus gives them three important blessings from his resurrection. And Jesus goes right to the heart. Jesus knows exactly what they need. And so Jesus is going to meet their need and Jesus is going to give them only what he can give them. So here's the first thing Jesus gives them and Jesus gives you. First of all, the resurrected Christ gives you peace. Notice what he says in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. Now, this is not just Jesus showing up and saying, Hey, guys, I'm here. No, he's going straight to their heart. He knows that they are troubled. He knows that they are doubting in their hearts. And so he goes straight to them and says, Listen, guys, I'm giving you peace. Peace for your troubled heart. I'm literally here to give you peace. Remember those three issues I talked about early in the message that a lot of people struggle with? The first one was what? Fear. Fear, doubt, or insecurity. If you are a person that's struggling with fear, doubt, or insecurity, Jesus has come to give you peace. Listen to what Jesus says in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I'm giving you peace. Paul tells us about the peace of Christ in Philippians 4, 6-7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What did these disciples need at that moment? They needed peace. They needed to know that their Savior was enough. They needed to know that he rose from the grave and that he was there for them. He gave their troubled hearts peace. Now, why is this so radical? Why is this so radical? Here's why it's so radical. Most people I've discovered do not really, truly have peace. Most people don't really have peace. I'm talking about Christian people. A lot of people live in fear. They live in insecurity. They live in doubt. And Jesus comes to meet you right at the point of that need to give you peace deep in your heart heart radical peace where the risen christ can come to you and say my child i'm going to give you the peace that passes understanding and i'm going to guard you because i've died for you and i've risen again and there's an empty tomb you need peace now the second thing that jesus gives besides peace which is wonderful 
the resurrected Christ gives you joy. Now, I think joy and peace are related to one another, but notice verse 41. This, This has always caught me. I'm not quite sure what it means, so I had to look at a lot of different translations, a lot of different commentaries. Verse 41, while they still disbelieve for joy, they disbelieved for joy. They were unbelieving with joy. What does that mean, they were unbelieving with joy? That word really means it was too good to be true. You ever seen those publishers' clearinghouse commercials? They show up with the camera crew to the front door, they knock on the door, and they open it. And this, what's that, the happy song they sing on the publisher's clearinghouse commercials? And they open the door, and the person's like, oh, my goodness. I know. And they think, this is a practical joke. And they, they get all, like, crazy because they've won the publisher's clearinghouse. And, and they're acting like this is too good to be true. That's what it means to disbelieve for joy. But as great as winning a sweepstake is, let me just tell you something that's far greater. The joy of the Lord as your strength. Christ gives you joy deep in your heart. John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Again, why is this radical? What was the issue I talked about earlier? Okay, for some people it's doubt and fear. Jesus gives peace. For others it may be anger and bitterness and frustration and resentment. Joy is the exact opposite of that. For those that struggle with deep issues of anger, Bitterness, resentment, Jesus comes to give you joy. And joy casts those things out of your heart because the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. That's what Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So for this morning, you may be one of those people that's like, you know what, I'm mad at the world. I'm angry, I'm bitter. Jesus has come to give you joy to take that bitterness out of your heart and to give you hope because of the empty tomb. Okay, what's the third thing that Jesus gives? The resurrected Christ gives you complete forgiveness of sins. In verse 47, Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go preach the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. Now, what was the third issue I said a lot of people deal with? Number one, it was doubt. Fear, Jesus gives you peace. For others, it may be anger, frustration, bitterness. Jesus gives you joy. But for some of you, it may be guilt and shame. Jesus forgives all of your sins. Past, present, and future. Forgiveness of all those sins. It's a radical change because Jesus comes to take them all away. That's why Paul can say in Colossians 2, 13-14, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, all of our sins, by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So Jesus, because of the empty tomb, comes to give you peace, comes to give you joy, and comes to give you forgiveness. But don't miss the message in this passage of Scripture. These blessings are not automatic. You don't just automatically get these blessings. Jesus tells us in this passage of Scripture that we must repent and believe in Him in order to receive these blessings. 
Jesus gives us the sum and substance of the message of the gospel in verses 44 through 47. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's the entirety of the Old Testament. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus takes them on a tour of the Old Testament and says, this is all about me. So, what must you believe in order to have a relationship with Christ? It's very important. What must you believe? Well, Jesus here tells us, here's the first thing you must believe. You must believe the truth of what the Bible says about Jesus. The truth of what the Bible says about Jesus. In other words, you've got to believe the historical Christ and who he is and what the Bible says he is. Right there, Jesus says, listen, the entire Old Testament is about me. Thus, it is written. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4? For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures goes back to who Christ is according to the Scriptures. Number one, you must believe who Jesus is according to how he has revealed himself to be believed in the Scriptures. Here's the second thing you must believe. You must believe that Jesus is the one and only way. Notice what he says there in verse 46. He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer. The Christ, the Messiah, Literally, that word means the anointed king. Jesus is the anointed king of kings, Lord of lords. He is the only way any person can have a relationship with the living God. That's why Jesus can say in John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You've got to believe he's the Christ. But you also must believe something else. You must believe that Jesus suffered on the cross. What does he say there? Verse 46. He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer. Suffer. It's the Greek word pacho. We get the word passion. The passion of the Christ. The suffering of the Christ. You must believe that when Jesus was dying on that cross, he was taking all of the sin, all of the shame, all of the punishment that was directed towards you and me because we deserve to have all that coming at us. He took it in his his body as a substitute for us so that you and I could be forgiven. You must believe that he suffered in his body for you and for me on that cross. That's why 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. So you've got to believe the truth of what the Bible says about Jesus. You've got to believe he's the only way of salvation. You've got to believe he died on the cross. But Jesus says there's a, third, there's a fourth thing there. And on the third day, rise from the dead. You must believe Jesus rose from the dead. That's what Easter is all about. Believing Jesus rose from the dead. Paul makes a very interesting statement. If the resurrection wasn't true, 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. That means empty. That means meaningless. And you're still in your sins. In other words, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what are we doing here? 
We are all still dead in our sins. We're all still in bondage to our sins. Our faith is meaningless if Christ didn't rise from the grave. So you've got to believe that Jesus is who he says he is according to the Bible, that he is the only way of salvation, that he suffered on the cross, that he rose again on the third day. But here's the last thing you must do. Those are things you've got to believe. But Jesus also says this, you must repent of your sins. Notice what Jesus says there. Verse 47. Right after he said, thus it's written that Christ should suffer on the third day, rising from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Repentance. Paul goes to Mars Hill in Athens. He's around a bunch of Greek philosophers, and this is what he tells them in Acts 17, 30-31. The times of ignorance God overlooked but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of all this, he's given assurance by raising him from the dead. Jesus is risen from the dead as the judge and there's going to be a coming day where he will judge all and you must repent. Now, the question is, what does it mean to repent? What does that mean? Well, let me go back and use that radical word again. It is a radical shift. It's a radical change in your mind and in your heart where you come to that point where you grieve your sin, you mourn your sin, you confess that sin, and in your heart of hearts, you know that you've offended a holy God and you turn from that sin. I've given this illustration many times, but pretend this wall back here is all of your life of sin. This is your direction. This is your life. This is everything that you're embracing, everything about you. It's sinful. It's shameful. It's ugly. And you're embracing it because you want it. Repentance means I turn from that. I make a turn from that. And as you're turning from the sin, you're turning in faith to Christ. Repentance means to turn, to change, to be sorrowful. And to actually have that genuine transformation. And here's the beautiful thing that happens. Once you repent and believe in Jesus, you get salvation. You get peace. You get joy. You get forgiveness. You get this radical transformation in your life where you are a new person. That's why Peter can say in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope because of the resurrection. If you're here today and you've got fear and doubt deep in your heart, Jesus has come to give you peace. If you're here today and you've got that anger, got that bitterness, you've got that resentment deep in your heart, Jesus has come to give you joy. And there may be some of you here that are like, you know what, I'm so guilty, I'm so ashamed. Pastor Sean, if I told you the things I've done, you would be shocked. Jesus could never forgive me. Jesus has come to give you complete forgiveness of all your sins. And it's all because of the empty tomb. Now, for some of you, you may be thinking, that's good. That's a great message, Pastor Sean. That's, that's really, really good. But that won't ever happen to me. I'm going to always struggle with guilt. 
I'm going to always struggle with doubt. I'm going to always struggle with fear. I'm never going to be changed. I'm a lost cause. I'm hopeless. Don't even worry about wasting your time giving me this message. That may be for somebody else, but that's not going to apply to me because God can't change me. There's a Greek word for that. It's called baloney. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, let me give you a promise. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ here this morning, if you have trusted Christ for salvation, if you have repented and believed, if you are born again, let me give you a promise on the authority of God's word that God can change you. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, 18 through 20. Listen to this and let it sink in. That you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What's the hope? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? Here's what that verse is saying. That immeasurable power that you can't even measure, you can't even think, the power that raised Jesus from the grave, that same power, resurrection power is available to us who believe so do not tell me you can't change when jesus rose from the dead and gives you the power to overcome doubt fear insecurity jesus can give you the power of joy jesus can give you the power of peace and jesus can give you the power of forgiveness it's a measurable power it's power you can't measure that god used when he raised jesus from the dead And it's all because of the empty tomb that you can experience that freedom today. You can experience that that, that forgiveness today. You can experience that radical change today that can really make a difference in your life. That can change you from the inside out. That can truly get to the, the root of who you are. But again, it's not automatic. You've got to repent and you've got to believe. And once you repent and you believe, and you trust in Christ as the only way of salvation when you believe in what he did on the cross, when you believe in the empty tomb, you then get to experience the blessings of salvation, joy, peace, forgiveness. So what better time than today, right now, in these moments we have together that may never come again, Easter 2017 will never come again. What better time than right now than to trust Jesus Christ alone to be your source, your powerful source of peace, of joy, and of forgiveness. That's what I want for all of you. I want all of us to leave this place experiencing the power to know that Christ can truly, radically change your life. So let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And let's just spend some time before the Lord this morning. I want to give you a few minutes of quiet, sometimes just being quiet before the Lord. He can minister to your heart and reveal some things to you that you've heard this morning. And use this time to pray, use this time to think, use this time to really ponder your heart this morning and the power of the resurrection.
this morning and this may be the first time you've ever come to Emmanuel or maybe you've been coming here your whole life. This is your opportunity to really engage with God and make things, make things right and to truly repent and believe. And I will be here after the service if you need someone to talk to, if you need someone to, to give you prayer and counsel. We have people up at the front that would be willing to meet with you. Father, we do come before you today and we thank you for the empty tomb. Jesus, we thank you that you can radically radically change our lives to get down to the root of who we are you can take the bitterness out you can take the anger and frustration out you can take the guilt out all through your power through your cross through your resurrection but it means we must repent and believe it's not automatic we've got to repent of our sins and believe in you so lord i pray pray that, that, that that those in this room that have never done that never repented and believed in you, Jesus, that today would be the day they do that. Today they would be the day they experience forgiveness of sins. Today would be their day of true salvation. Lord, help us all leave this place with the joy of the Lord being our strength and the power of the resurrection being our hope, knowing that our sins have been forgiven and you're coming back again one day for us. Because you conquered the grave, you conquered the tomb, and Jesus, you are alive. We praise you for your resurrection. May we continue to enjoy you through the rest of this Easter. And we ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.